Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Jack English and this is City Hall Stories. These are conversations with local government leaders who are imagining, designing and creating our future societies. Aspirational governance is the most effective way to build a healthier future. And this podcast is built to be a source of inspiration for anyone who looks out their window and says, let's do better. I hope the incredible humans you'll hear from deliver that inspiration. If you think all a communications team for a city does is send out notices when a pipe bursts, as I admittedly did, then you couldn't be more wrong. As we learn today from Shanna Haley, communications director for the city of Plano, Texas, successful communication is one of the key strategic levers a government has to drive engagement, trust, and ultimately outcomes that better reflect its residents. Today we discuss some of the private sector instincts Shanna had to curb when joining local government how she goes about recruiting world-class talent for her team, and how her team has built the largest YouTube channel of any local government in the US. Please enjoy my conversation with Shanna Haley. Hey Shanna, being you work in communications and this podcast is ultimately communication, I've got pretty high hopes for this episode. Like many guests, you haven't spent a lifetime in local government and only joined the city of Plano maybe five or six years ago. How did you end up there? It's a great question. You know, um, career ladders aren't um, quite the way you think that they might be. It's not a point A to point B. It usually is pretty circular uh, in your journey, or at least a winding path. And for me, I started my career maybe more years ago than I want to admit in the mid-90s, working in nonprofit sector. In fact, I worked overseas and came back to the U.S. and got involved in professional services marketing. And for listeners who may be purely in the government sector, they might not know what professional services represent, but that would be legal, accounting, architecture, engineering, construction, you know, providing professional services. And I worked in that industry for a number of years um, and really felt like it was time for a transition. I, I was specifically head of global communications and marketing for a very large architecture technology construction firm and just was rethinking how I wanted to spend my time and where I wanted to spend my time and, and the amount of time that I was spending commuting and made friends close close to home, close to the city that I, I uh, live in and uh, got involved in a leadership development program, made more friends and was presented with the opportunity to join the city where I live as their director of communications and community outreach. And it feels, you know, like a lot of hopscotch, you know, jumping from square to square, but it, it seems like a, a reasonable path to me when I look back at all of the different elements. You know, nonprofit work is definitely service focused and professional services is about selling the idea of trust um, because there's not really a widget to show people. And all of those things are things that you do in local government. You know, you're building trust with your various constituencies within the city, and you're making sure that people feel valued and heard and that they have information. And that's right up my wheelhouse. And it's even better for me that it's my own hometown. So I, I have a personal investment in doing it well. So talk us through those early days of joining the city. How was that learning curve? What took you by surprise? What was a pleasant surprise? What was coming across your desk that you didn't expect? Take us back to, to 2015. Ooh, what was different? I'll start with what was hard. What was hard was the slower decision-making pace. I, 
I was pleasantly surprised that the Plano is not um, a typical bureaucracy that you might envision where it's, you know, a lot of red tape, a lot of a lot of voices in the mix to make a decision. And it takes forever to make a decision. But compared to the private sector, there certainly are more considerations and it does take a little longer. And and I, I would joke just with my team about feeling like we were in analysis paralysis, particularly with stickier problems. You know, now that I'm a little more seasoned, um, I understand exactly how sticky problems can be and that taking that extra beat <laughs> to think about things is is a good thing because there, there really are every perspective possible and you need to think through all of those. One of the best things, though, uh, for me, Plano has done a wonderful job of investing in public information and in transparency. And so I walked in to a well-resourced team. And that is not typical in the private sector. You, In very large companies, you may have a, a large base of web developers, of videographers, of writers, or you have access to, uh, you know, funds to hire a lot of consultants. But you know that's a large a large company. That's not true of a majority of the firms um, that are out there in business. And so to walk into local government, I thought, oh man, I'm going to get uh, folks who couldn't get a job. <laughs> they went to work for the government, and they're going to just be able to just kind of crank out work. Very very fortunate to have incredibly gifted professionals on my team. I have a a full set of uh, videographers. Our digital marketing team is is terrific. Um, A a web content uh, focused person, a a presentation specialist, videographers. I have a a plethora of uh, communication specialists with advanced degrees in public relations, in writing, in communications. And and, and a terrific graphic designer who came out of the private sector as well and has done incredible graphic design campaigns for some of the most well-known household brands in America. And here he is working on our team. So that was amazing and unexpected. So the task for me was really to give this team purpose and focus and a mission and change the context of what it meant to do public information. And and that was a, a longer road than I expected um, because it wasn't just taking our team on that journey. It was taking our entire organization on that journey. And that was a sea change from seeing communications and information as a function you need to do to a real strategic advantage. And, And the way that you can you know, either get ahead of issues or that you can better communicate and position a topic that your residents need to know about in such a way that it never even becomes an issue that people journey that together and through a sound communication strategy has really been a joy, but that, you know, took a long time to get there and a lot of learning on my part too. You know, I, I, I don't think anybody had ever really tried to do that in quite the way that we were doing it. So we were learning from our counterparts and we were learning from our own experiences and walking that path together. Given that most cities don't have that internal expertise around public information, what do you put it down to at Plano being so successful there? Is it a focus from elected officials, as it is you said, acknowledging it as a strategic priority and therefore getting more resources allocated toward it, good hiring practices? What do you put it down to? Ooh, um, I think it's wise leadership from our elected officials as well as our city management. We've seen transition in our city manager's office since I've been here. We had our, our longtime city manager, 
retired. Um, and our newest current city manager has, is a longtime member of our organization. So there's been a lot of planning and foresight collectively as a community and as an organization. And I think that made a big difference. Certainly, you know, I mean, government has three purposes on the communication side. You know, your your role is to educate, your role is to inform, and your role is to engage. And the challenge is, how do you do all three of those in a way that's seamless and connected? What resources do you bring to the table? So, We've, we've seen a trend. Many cities are, are wisely hiring in journalists, former journalists, to either lead or be a significant part of their communications efforts. And, and that's, that's a massive change. Plano did that uh, a year before I joined, and I'm very fortunate to have a colleague who sits in the same suite of offices and we work hand in hand, um, who leads media relations, former journalist, and that sensibility of how to tell a story, how to simplify complex information. Many local governments are now understanding that purpose. It's the ability of an organization to realize that communications is a specialty. It's not just a function. And I think we, we all can struggle with that misperception. Just because I open up a Facebook page and, and I interact with my friends and family doesn't mean that I know social media strategy any more than the fact that I can open up a free planning tool and lay out what my bedroom furniture plan should look like. That doesn't make me an interior designer. So we each have specializations and skill sets and to be mature as an organization, to be mature in critical thought and really pursuing how do you do the next thing better is is something that Plano as an entity has always done. I came, I was raised in a program that's, it's an international program that started in the United States called 4-H and the motto of 4-H is to make the best better. And it was it was nice to come into an organization that kind of adopted Maya Angelou's statement, when we know better, we do better. You know, those two things really marry up and it, it definitely is a good guidepost for how we do things. You know, we do the best we can and when we know better, we adapt and we do better. And, and I walked in saying, man, this team does a lot of really good work, but we can make that good work even better and we can make it more cohesive and apply some private sector principles of funneling and um, influencer marketing, you know, all of those different touch points and, and put that into a local government context in a way that was palatable to residents and made sense for our mission. So before we jump into some of those specific projects that you've been working on and had real success in, I want to touch on something that you just brought up. What actually is the risk to a city, to a local government, of treating communications as simply a box to be ticked rather than its own strategic priority? I think it, I think it puts you at odds with the people that you're trying to serve. And it's maybe not the right thing to say that that's a very old school way of thinking about it, but public information, you know, the way we used to call communications in the government sector was really more of a one-way approach. Something's happened. We share that information with you. The information you need to know is, is what we have given you. And really anybody can do that. That's a press release that you push out and, you know, it's a, a post that you put on social media or it's a flyer you distribute. Here's what you need to know and, and that's the way you need to know it. But there's there's been a complete sea change 
on both sides. And government may be a little slower. Um, I'm not saying my entity is slower, but the industry as a whole has been slower to adapt just by the nature of all of the things that are involved with government adjusting to that new market reality. Once you have social media where people have the ability to respond to you in real time or send you messages asking for additional information or the ability to provide feedback through any methodology, it it changes the nature of what communications is about. And I tell our team, you know, because it's easy to get lost in the forest of everything that we have going on. I, I was just looking at our work plan this afternoon and we have on our team of 14, which includes me, we have 47 projects that are currently in some stage of production in the team as of today. And, you know, that's not including the projects that are on hold waiting attention uh, when we have future direction. So I remind them that like, we're really busy, but our job isn't to compete with getting information to our residents or to our businesses instead of a neighboring city. What a neighboring city pushes out with information, it isn't our concern. I mean, obviously we're cooperative and we're listening to what they have to say from a a colleague perspective, but our residents want to hear from us. We are competing for share of mind with businesses. So if I need to tell you the trash is delayed, my competition isn't the city next door. My competition is what show is dropping on Hulu this week or was FedEx delayed in getting to your house and why? Or what's the next sale that's coming from a large department store? Those are competitors, whether we want to admit it or not. And that's different than the other departments that are within the city. You know, that that's what we face on the communications side. We're competing for mind share. And that's why you have to look at it from a strategic perspective, because it's not a simple matter of just saying, hey, this is the information we need to get out, so get it out. What do you want people to do with that? What What is the action that you're wanting them to take? What is the problem that you're trying to solve? What's the goal you want to achieve? And then we back into, well, what does that mean we need to do in terms of actions? Um, what are the tactics that we're going to take? And what's the best methodology? And that's not going to look the same from initiative to initiative. And messaging may be similar, but but the tactics that we use to execute that look very, very different. And that's our specialty. And that's how we can best partner and help our departments. I think that's a really interesting paradigm to view your your role through your work through is, like you say, you're not just kind of trying to inform people, hey, trash has picked up on Wednesdays, but actually go potentially further beyond and, and really tell the story of Plano. And would love to hear from your perspective, how do you do that? Are you able to for us contextualize Plano within the Dallas-Fort Worth area and and more so how you go about thinking about creating Plano's unique story within that environment. Yeah, so Plano, for those who don't know where it's located, we are within the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex, um, but we are a quite large city. We have nearly 287,000 residents, and that puts us as the 69th largest city in America, and we're actually the ninth largest city in the state of Texas. So very, very large city. We started out many, many years ago as a farming community that then became a bedroom community. So people moved to Plano for schools and good housing, and then they would traditionally commute 
down into Dallas to work. So we were a bedroom community in that sense. And over time, again, back to that notion of really good foresight and planning and thoughtfulness by elected leaders and city management, we grew as a business community as well. In fact, we um, are a significant job draw. We are a job creation center. Um, it's this is Shauna's analogy. I don't know that the city of Plano would necessarily categorize it this way, but I think it's a little fair. Dallas is a city. Fort Worth is a city. We're known as the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You can only grow so far before you need a third leg to the stool that allows additional growth. And that third leg of, you know, another job hub, probably you could consider that the city of Plano and you know, some of that business bleeds out into the cities that are surrounding us as well, but really a significant number of jobs are here. And at this point, our commercial infrastructure provides 52% of our tax base. So, you know, that's that's an interesting transition, right? Because you have people who are longtime residents that know Plano as the farming community. They're descendants of original residents. We have people who were part of that bedroom community and they're observing the shift. And you have people who are new arrivals that came after we made that transition. So we've always had a little bit of a struggle of who are we and what's our identity. And I feel like that's very relatable. Probably many areas throughout the United States and around the world are dealing with that same struggle of identity as we're watching these mass migrations happen and and have been happening really since probably the late 1980s. It's just a time of change and and you're seeing these shifts. We've had, I think it's a, a little bit of serendipity and it's a little bit of strategy. You marry those up together and you call it a happy happy happenstance. (laughs) We launched an Instagram channel as a city. This was before I joined the city. And to gain followers, they adopted a hashtag called Love Plano and used that to, to encourage people to engage with the channel. Well, once I joined the city, we took a pause and thought, how can we create a shared sense of community? If we look at What makes Plano Plano? What are the things that people identify as important to them? And hired a consultant, did a sentiment analysis, and really kind of dove into some of those things. And we learned that our residents, very digitally savvy, but they they feel like Plano, even though it's very large, feels like a small town. Um, they love how diverse it is, and we are surprisingly diverse. <laughs> they they love the ability to really be able to get anything that they want without having to leave our city limits. We're a self-contained city in many ways. So how do you marry all of those things together and help people who are newcomers feel as welcome as those who are long-timers, help long-timers not feel as though they're excluded from the community that's always been there so that it's changed beyond recognition. You know, how do you keep that sense of ownership? And we landed on Love Plano, you know, that maybe that was more than a hashtag. Maybe that was a notion that we could hold up as an idea of community and connection, a way to talk about shared values and We've done a lot of different things. You know, there have been some campaigns that are associated with Love Plano. We've used that in messaging when we want to share some hard messages, (laughs) you know, particularly during COVID when we had to talk about the need to mask up and changing regulations and businesses closing and the need and ways that you could support your neighbors. We've used it when we talk about the need to pick up after your pet in the park. You know, it's an idea of we love the place that we live 
and that we have a responsibility that we all can love Plano. So that's been for for lack of anything better kind of our connecting point i mean we do have a tagline that we're the city of excellence but excellence i think is defined by all of the services you provide as a city and and the resources that are available here but at the end of the day you need to feel like it matters and that you feel connected and and that's encapsulated very nicely in this idea of loving plano so let's get into the the weeds. What are actually some of those channels? So you mentioned setting up an Instagram page. Uh, in previous conversations, you chatted about YouTube as well and also the city's experience on Reddit. Can you talk through some of those channels that you're using and how you go about thinking about them individually as tools for your office to utilize better connecting with your residents? Sure. We actually have at this point in time 34 separate social media networks that that represents multiple Facebook pages, um, multiple Twitter channels, YouTube, Instagram, and we have several profiles on Instagram. We're on Pinterest, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Nextdoor. YouTube, you can debate back and forth whether or not it's a social channel or whether it's a broadcast channel or whether it's a hybrid of both, but um, we are also on YouTube, as well as our website that is our content hub, content central, and and print. So pretty much everywhere where you can be, where residents can be, we are there. Our philosophy is that we need to be where residents are, and we need to be part of their conversations because, you know, people are no longer visit a website because they want information. They they want you to be where they already are. They're not going to come to you unless you pull them into your sphere. So we are constantly looking at channels and we look at metrics uh, and I'm speaking specifically of social media. We're looking at metrics every month. You know, what's performing well, what's not performing well, what type of content, what time was that content posted? What type of interaction did we see on that? And we're sharing that citywide. Our team does that. We we don't manage all of the content on all of those channels, but we do sit in an oversight role and provide a lot of training and a lot of feedback. And then we provide all of the analytics and keep an eye on what's happening. And so each of those channels then have a different strategy. While they may have similar messaging at times, the messaging typically looks very different dependent on the channel because the audience isn't the same on each channel. You know, Facebook, we jokingly say our soccer moms and our grandmas are on on Facebook, but that that's true. I mean, we have a very active, engaged audience that's 30 to 45-year-old women and then women that are 55 and older. So we know who we're talking to on Facebook. And our business community loves to engage with us on Facebook. Twitter, we have a, an active group of folks who are like me, Gen Xers. Uh, Gen X really embraced Twitter. So we have a lot of those folks, but really the media is on Twitter. And so if we want to get a quick message out to the media outside of our normal media relations strategy, we can just drop an idea there. And we found that that's been very useful for our storytelling initiative. Some of those things are birthed on Twitter with a, a really great visual and a really well-worded 200 word tweet. If I want to talk specifically to our residents and I don't want the noise of anyone and everyone that might happen to be on our Twitter feed or our Facebook feed, we talk through next door. We know that those are our validated residential addresses within the city of Plano and it allows us to be very, very targeted. We can target a neighborhood. We can target uh, an area around a facility. So let's say we have to close you know, a facility because there's a power outage. Uh, we can 
we can do a radius drop around that facility and notify everyone that lives around that. And no matter where you live in the world, people feel ownership of the things that are close to them. So, you know, you can ask me, what's your library? Well, I live near three libraries, but there's one library that really is my library. And so if they're going to be doing a landscaping project, I want to know what they're doing at my library. You know, and I feel very strongly about that. And so Nextdoor allows us to be very personal and very direct and very open with our residents. Reddit um, was a surprise to us. Different audience. Most of them are residents. Very thoughtful, though, and very engaged. Reddit is one of the few channels where if we post meeting notices and and invite people to come, we then see that community physically show up at a meeting. Um, They want to learn. They're highly engaged, highly informed residents, and it's just, it's a joy to be there, and they ask tough questions. And so it's a great, it's a great place for us to get feedback. YouTube, for us, though, has been a major growth opportunity. We, uh, at least according to our calculations and the research that we've done, we think that we have the largest local government uh, YouTube channel in the United States in terms of subscribers. And we hired a, a YouTube influencer not to, to mess with our channel, but to teach us what people look for on YouTube because we were posting our content that we put out on our public access television channel and we felt like we could do better and be more engaging. But understanding how that channel's algorithm works, how people use YouTube, what kind of content is engaging. We learned a lot through that process and our analytics really show it. And we've been able to acquire a large audience that now follow us for meetings. And so our meeting viewership for live broadcasts on on YouTube as well as Facebook has really grown. So, you know, sometimes a well-timed video that plays at you know, a social media trend that we might post as an Instagram reel. And then we know that YouTube is is beta testing a new strategy called YouTube Shorts. Well, YouTube Short is really an Instagram reel, which is also a TikTok video. They're all essentially the same, slightly different audience, but the same format, same time length. So if you can do something really well um, that meets the need of a social channel and then you post it on YouTube, then you're taking advantage of YouTube's desire to grow a new offering and they're going to boost your content which is going to lead new eyes to your channel and then the next thing you know they're they're watching a city council meeting and and you have 22 year olds calling in to to give public comment and that's what it's about you know if you live here you have the right and i would say as a longtime resident you have the obligation to participate but you just need to know how and you need to be given that opportunity, and that's what we use those channels for. We relate with you, we provide opportunities for you to give feedback, to get information, and we provide that pathway so that you feel like people care about you and that you have the opportunity to provide feedback and it feels natural and not scary to you. I love how you brought it full circle there toward kind of that young person actually early on seeing some entertaining as well as engaging content from the city and that actually flowing through to being truly involved in the governance of the city. Unfortunately, when you bring up social media, oftentimes city managers or elected officials will roll their eyes if you say Facebook or Twitter, because you know in their eyes, it's the squeaky wheel. It's the same 10 people every week that are going on and complaining about some aspect of city life. How do you go about creating essentially areas of communication with residents that are constructive, that are substantive, that don't just trend toward the lowest common denominator of complaints or screaming about whatever issue is is hot that week? (laughs) 
I'm sitting here thinking through. So you're really wondering how do you how do you position social media to be positive rather than just being a negative feedback exactly. channel, correct? Exactly. And and how to help city management with that. And I do I, I find that that that's an intriguing question because that is a challenge. You know, let's start with the fundamental. A, a fundamental is that people provide feedback when they're angry. That That's just the way we are. Um, and that's the way you are. If you have a bad experience at a restaurant, you'll provide feedback. But if you have a wonderful experience at a restaurant, you're not going to provide feedback. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's human nature. And so that is the way that it is in government as well. So we know that we're always going to have that to a certain extent. One of the things that we think is really important for our team as a service ad or a value ad that we provide is context and analysis. So, you know, I'll give you an example of something that happened with negative feedback. Uh, this was in the early days of my time here at the city. We we had one of our channels where they actually do have an offering and um, an individual left a negative review. And the department that it impacted was just mortified. Oh my gosh, there's a negative review and that's going to damage our star rating. And, you know, what do, what do we do? You know, can you just delete that review? You know, just delete it because it's, it's somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. And of course, you know, we have pretty strict policies and I'm like, no, we don't, we don't delete negative feedback. We respond to negative feedback. I was like, do you understand why we do that? You know, we help people walk the path and and we do that in an open and transparent way. That's that's a standard business practice. There's a great book I encourage everybody to read if they haven't read it called Hug Your Haters by Jay Bear. <laughs> it's fabulous about how to do social media focused customer service. And, and there are all kinds of applications in the local government world. How do you help people walk that path? And even though you may not resolve that individual's challenge, Showing your process helps you avoid future challenges because you've been very open in your engagement and other people observe that that can turn a negative situation positive, even if there's no resolution with the original complainer. So I asked the department, do you understand after we walked through what we were going to do? And they said, yes, you're saying we just need to delete our Facebook page. (laughs) No, we're not going to delete the Facebook page. I still, that's the title of my unwritten memoir of life in local government. So we're just going to delete the Facebook page (laughs) because sometimes that's, that feels like that would be the best thing. But you know, that's where communications professionals have the ability to say, we're not going to sit in the comments. What we're going to do is sit above the comments. And Department X, we're going to give you context. For every two positive comments you have, you have a multiple of 100 positive comments that were not left, but good feelings. For every one negative, you have a multiple of 10 negatives behind that. So let's let's not be overreactive to the one. Let's not be underreactive to the two, you know, know how to accept positive feedback and be willing to engage so that you can get a tribe of supporters who will carry your message for you. And then how do we do that so that we're not always in a defensive position or feeling like we need to be? We have a community of people that we've developed a relationship with that are willing to provide that information for us. And and they're helping build trust because they're serving in almost an advocate role on our behalf. And that's a very powerful thing, but it's a long-term strategy. We also have a tool that allows us to observe the context of communication so we can see trending topics. And and that also gives you a lot of perspective because then that one little negative comment that 
we all might like to live on. You know, you always hang on to the bad piece of feedback that you get in a, in a review. You don't <laughs> hang out on the 25 great things that were said about you. You remember the one negative bit. Well, looking at trending topics helps us do that. So we can come back to a department and say, hey, this is, this is really the context of the conversation that's happening around your for lack of a better word, brand, you know, your initiative, your program, here's, here's what people are saying about it. And here's how the conversation is flowing. And here's the impact of what's happening. And that helps them get out of the comments as well. And so I think we've over time helped people understand that social media is merely a tool. It's not a toy. And that all goes back to that notion of there's professionalism behind using the tool and if just anybody can post to Facebook, then it, it, it is a waste of time. But if you do it with intentionality, with training, with expertise, then it's a very valuable resource and you're wise to take advantage of it. I love that. Why don't we just delete Facebook? I think I just realized the uh, the title of what this podcast is going to be. You were speaking earlier, the value of having some of that expertise in-house uh, in terms of journalism and reporting. Local government isn't seen as a traditional go-to for storytellers and creatives. How do you go about attracting talent to this unique industry? Yeah, I am I am shameless at stalking people. <laughs> you know, I I have a very open circle and that some of that's the benefit of having been in the private sector. So I, I know a lot of people from that side of life. But I, I follow people that I'm interested in and I engage with them and maintain relationships. And as I encounter people at networking events, I maintain relationships with them and and you have those conversations about what you do. And I, I think it's the why of your work that draws people in. If you, if you spend your time talking about, well, my job is just telling people what the government's doing. Well, that's not very, that's not very exciting. I like to tell people that what we do here in the communications and community outreach team is about building good engagement. And we do that through communication. So that's relevant two-way communication between the city and those we serve. And we do that in such a way that everybody feels like they can call Plano home because home is where your voice is valued and your opinion matters. And I'm really passionate about that. In your home, you know, you may fuss and fight and disagree, uh, but outside the home, we're going to defend each other against those things that are threats. And that's somewhat of an idealistic notion of what we can be, but what a great idealistic notion to pursue that we can fuss and fight as we work through these sticky problems as a city. You know, there are a lot of different perspectives on how you solve issues, but collectively we are united together against anything that might you know, pose a threat <laughs> to the community of Plano. And when you talk about it in that sense, that recontextualizes your work. You know, our team members are great advocates for bringing in qualified candidates as well. We don't have a lot of turnover in our team, but when we have had turnover, almost everybody who's applied for a role here and ended up either getting an interview or getting a position has been somebody that was referred in um, or sent the job. It's because we don't treat our communication staff like administrative assistants. Their role isn't to say, thank you so much for sending me this collateral request. I'll get right on it. It's really to be a professional and say, let's partner together. What are you trying to achieve? What's the, what are the two things you want residents to know at the end of this effort? 
let me go back and think on the best way to do it and then let's have our best creative output for it. That doesn't mean every project's, you know, a triple A project. Sometimes projects are just a, a B plus or an A, you know, <laughs> you've got to get work done too. But there's always that sense of professionalism that's associated with it. So it's good, high quality work. I like to, in addition to every now and then submitting our work for award consideration against, um, you know, our fellow government communicators, I like to submit our work for private sector award consideration just so they can see how they benchmark against private businesses and they benchmark very well. And when you know that, you know, your video team is a recipient of a a Texas Emmy (laughs) in the Emmy program, you know you have good videographers and they're proud they're proud of their work because they have people in the private sector who've never won an Emmy and they have. You know, our graphic designer can walk in and say, hey, that rebrand for an entity that I did within the city, it, it won a national award for, for a product rebrand. You know, there's something very powerful about that that you see, you know, maybe my salary isn't always going to be quite as competitive as it is in the private sector, but the benefits are incredible and the recognition is equal. And that's that's a good value proposition, as well as, at least within my team, the ability to do stretch projects and and try things out. You know, I have, um, Jack, three rules (laughs) that I tell my team. Like, first rule is they cannot ever embarrass me. So any work that goes out, I, I can't be embarrassed. They can't embarrass our city management, and they can't embarrass our elected officials. Outside of those three rules, give it a try. Who cares if that Instagram reel that was so funny that you thought would work if it didn't work, as long as it didn't embarrass any of those three groups, that's okay. It was a a 20-second video. Who cares? It was a good creative effort, and you had fun making it, and it told a story, and it impacted 20 people instead of the 20,000 that you were hoping. Still was worth doing it, because the next time you do it, you're going to have something that's a viral success. And and there's a lot of freedom in that. If you're a 25-year-old and you're starting your career, what place allows you to make mistakes with grace, you know, and with the safety net to help you along the way? Fantastic. So for our uh, traditional closing question here, I'm going to ask you, what's one accepted truth of local government, Shanna, that you think is incorrect? I think people see local government as paper pushers who are just there to do their job, purely functionaries. And in reality, Every person that I've met in local government, and I'm not speaking just of my own city, every person, hands down, that I've met working in the government sector cares very deeply about their work. They're not doing the job because it's an easy job and it has a pension and it has job security. They're doing it because in their heart, they, they see themselves as a public servant. They want to serve their community They want to meet a need, they want to make things better, and they take a lot of pride in their work. And I wish more people knew that because those are hidden stories and it's true for a garbage collector and it's true for a road engineer and it's true for a communicator. These folks love what they do. They love who they serve. Even when they're hearing a lot of negative feedback, they love what they do and they feel purpose and passion in that. You know, the private sector is always pushing to find the why to sell the passion. And I feel like that's baked in in local government. And I just wish more people knew that. Shanna really loved this episode and completely reframed how I personally, and I suspect all of our listeners think about communication, local government. Great to understand how 
raising the bar beyond a simple informational model to, I guess, a more holistic, engaging program actually flows through to, to better governance. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's me again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and connect with me on LinkedIn. See you soon.